I'm kind of in, in a little bit of shock. This is kind of like, you know, when Queen Elizabeth died, she's been queen my whole life. <laughs> he is suddenly, too, suddenly right? you know, what does a world without Rupert Murdoch at the helm of Fox look like? I don't know. Yeah, do you believe it? I mean, I executive chairman, super executive chairman, chairman in repose, whatever they call chairman, him, I still think he's gonna be running. Yeah, chairman emeritus now. What's the difference, right? <laughs> But okay, let, let me back up a bit and get started. My name is Eric Wempo. I'm media columnist for the Washington Post. And we're here today to talk about a news event with a long tail. Rupert Murdoch, who's 92 years old, last week announced that he'd be ditching his titles as the top co-executive at Fox Corporation at, and News Corp, two entities that house a newspaper and TV properties for which he's most famous in the United States. His son, Lachlan Murdoch, will now formally call the shots alone, at least in theory. Though Lachlan Murdoch appears to share the business and programming sensibilities of his father, this could be a pivotal moment for properties such as Fox News, the New York Post, and the Wall Street Journal. I'm joined by two of my colleagues to get into a little thought exercise about the future of one of those properties, Fox News. Hugh and Megan, could you please introduce yourselves? Uh, I'm Megan McArdle. I am a columnist at the Washington Post. I write about the intersection of business economics and public policy. And I'm Hugh Hewitt. I'm in my radio studio where I broadcast Monday through Friday, three hours a day. And I'm a contributing columnist at the Post. And I write about everything under the sun until they say, no, you can't write about that. It's too boring. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Uh, really delighted to have you both here. Um, now, I'd like to point out that on your average podcast, we would just start blathering about these events. Um, but we want to do something a little more ambitious here. And our, um, our, our colleagues here at The Post hatched a really good idea for this discussion. Hugh and Megan, you are now Lachlan Murdoch right now. This empire is yours. Fox Empire, particularly Fox News. Let's focus on Fox News. After years of jockeying against your brother and other family members, you are calling the shots at this place. Now, Fox News has had a tough few years. You have the Dominion settlement, Tucker Carlson turmoil and firing, the Trump election call, so on and so forth. I want to talk about your plans to change this organization or not, if you think the status quo is fine. Um, let's just take off the table for the moment, burning it all down and saying, you know, Let's 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 end Fox News. Hugh, let's start with you. What's your first move um, as the top executive at Fox Corp? My first reaction was do nothing slowly uh, because it's a publicly traded company. If you're Lachlan, first thing you don't want to do is lose shareholder value between now and the first anniversary of your assuming of executive control of the company. So I wouldn't change anything. And I think that uh, the executive team went about the difficult surgery that they thought they had to do before the transition happened, even though the transition may not really be real. But I, I'm interested to hear if, if Megan is more adventuresome than I would be as a corporate manager, because I sure wouldn't want to send the shares plummeting. I wouldn't want to be the Liz Truss of the, of the news business. So first of all, the fact that Fox is what's called a two-sided market, um, it is on the one hand trying to attract viewers and on the other hand trying to keep advertisers. And thanks to progressive pressure on advertisers, there's kind of a trade-off. And you saw this, especially with Tucker Carlson. 
Um, so that's the big pro- the first problem that he has to manage. Second problem he has to manage is that is liability. And I think that that is where Fox went aggressively to after the Dominion debacle to shut down liability um, and get rid of the host who had who had uh, um, caused some of the biggest problems uh, with both advertisers um, and with catering to some of the Trump election nonsense. Um Going forward, I think he has a third problem, which is that you, when you are a successor and you are stepping into your dad's shoes, there are two things you simultaneously want to do. As Hugh says, you do not want to suggest that you are like the feckless heir who just got access to the treasury and is now going to go crazy. But you do want to put your stamp on things a little bit. Um, in order to show that you are um, you are a separate person, you are a leader, you have ideas, you have a vision for the future. And I think that's particularly important for Fox because Fox's demographic is ancient. Um, and this is, by the way, a problem for all cable news. You know, it's it, relatively CNN and MSNBC, maybe a little younger, but we're talking about they're lucky to be in the late 60s. instead. You know, they're lucky to be the early 60s instead of the late 60s. Megan, let me challenge you on that. Let me challenge you on that. There, there have been talk, there have been discussions about this aging out uh, dimension of the Fox News demographic now for, I don't know, 10, 20, maybe even more than that in terms of years. And it doesn't ever seem to affect their profitability. Uh, you know, in other words, what we seem to just keep producing 60-year-old white men who want to watch cable TV news, and especially Fox News. Uh, it seems as though the country does a fair job of replacing that demographic year in and year out. And indeed, I... the trend line tilts a little bit downward, but it seems enough such that they're able to pull off uh, you know, like a billion dollars a year in profit. Is it really no, that much of a, of a threat? I think that's a fair critique, but I do think that media is really changing. And by the way, I think this is also a problem for us. If you look at right, the number right. of high school kids who say that they read for pleasure ever, it's plummeting. And those are our future. Those should be our future readers. So I think that print is in some ways in a, in a worse position than television. Um, but I think that, you know, what is clear to me is that that Fox News and other cable shows are largely in the business of providing company for people who are older and lonely and aren't getting Absolutely out as much. True. Absolutely true. Uh, a really perp- perspicacious thing that someone said to me, a Republican strategist said, Fox News, the stereotype is that it's for people who don't read. It's not true. It's for people who used to read. It's true. I once interviewed a lady at a conference who watched not only all of the Fox primetime lineup but watch the reruns as well. Um, yeah, and so um, go I, ahead, Hugh. I, I, I agree with Megan completely. I, I first encountered a senior demographic when I walked into my now long-dead grandfather's house and he was watching C-SPAN when it was the only thing to watch, FDR Democrat, and he watched C-SPAN whenever it was on. And that demographic existed, and I think I'm the white male who's 67 in this gang. I don't watch any TV unless I'm on it or it's a news event or a sporting event. I just don't. We've we've sort of mapped out some of the issues and how you how you approach a situation like this. Um, I want to ask you about the product and its factual integrity. We are now five months after the Dominion settlement. 
in which Fox News paid $787.5 million, almost a billion dollars, to settle uh, the claims of Dominion Voting Systems, um, which it uh, smeared essentially on its airwaves after the 2020 presidential election, saying that Dominion was involved in flipping votes uh, from Donald Trump to Joe Biden. There were numerous lies, uh, a ton of falsehoods, and the discovery in this case showed that the management at Fox News knew that this whole voting rig vote rigging thing was false, yet they allowed it onto their airwaves anyway. They allowed it um, mainly, you know, B-rate uh, anchors, but there was some involvement by Tucker Carlson. There was some um, by Hannity and a couple instances on Fox and Friends. You can't tell me that Fox News does not have an enormous content problem and that it alone is um, not a threat to democracy. What do you do about that problem? And if you don't agree it's a problem, please say so. And we can have a different discussion, I guess. Well, it is a problem. I'll tee off here. It's a problem for every broadcaster. And it was a blow to New York Times v. Sullivan when they settled that case, because I have never worried one minute in 35 years of broadcasting about being sued for defamation or libel, because I was at least always trying to tell the truth. So if you, as I see it, as I understood it and mark my opinions as my opinion, if that gets legs, if people begin to sell and sue outlets for uh, false statements and the New York Times barrier dissolves, we're all in trouble uh, because we can't afford it. So I do think putting bumpers up on your host so that they at least believe what they're saying. I mean, that, I think that's like the rule number one is believe what you are saying before you say it. And I, I assume that's on every green room at Fox and, and MSNBC now because liability suddenly yawns in front of us. Suddenly, you think this is a change? You think uh, you think that the Dominion was like a bad uh, thing for new Yes, I, I think it's a huge wholesale. I've been teaching con law for 30 years. I've told them for 30 years. It doesn't matter what you say on the airwaves in America if you believe it. I no longer believe that's the case because the, the liability yawns before you, even if you think you can prove honest belief, you don't want to run that course. But these were reckless falsehoods. Right. These were the, the, the documents prove that these were reckless falsehoods and there's no constitutional protection for them. Uh, reckless disregard for the truth and knowing that it's reckless disregard for the truth being the, the two elements, which is why I go back. Right. You can put anyone on the air if they sincerely believe that what they're saying, no matter how nuts, is true. You know, I think that. All conservative broadcasters have had a Trump problem for. um a long time and i watched this i watched people attempt to the the immune system attempt to reject trump and people's audiences disciplined them and that was fox's core problem was that i don't think they believed this nonsense but their audience believed it and their audience really didn't want to hear that donald trump was lying to them and so um they made the bad decision <laughs> to to broadcast falsehoods in my opinion um rather than anger their audience and i think that that came back to bite them i think they're not going to make that decision again because even if it costs them audience they can't afford the liability and i i i think i i differ a little bit in that 
I do think that that's healthy. I'm not, I, I think that it's a good thing that they had to settle that case because it, it was quite reckless. Um, I think that if you're Lachlan Murdoch, you have to kind of do a little bit of serenity prayer, which is Trump is a destructive force who is going to demand that you do things that are morally wrong, that are bad business. And he is going to whip up your audience to demand that you do those things. And because, you know, it, it's a really fine line. You alienate your audience. Advertisers obviously don't want to advertise. But if you go too far in the other direction, A, you've got liability. And B, you also lose advertisers, which is ultimately where the money comes from, not the people's eyeballs. Um, I think you have to do a little bit of serenity prayer and say, like, look, grant me the wisdom to change the things I can and accept the things I can't change. And what he can't change is Trump. And I think that this actually, to push back a little bit on the kind of progressive theory of Fox News which is that Fox News was was kind of making all of this happen. Fox News was opposed to Trump. They didn't like him. Rupert Murdoch reportedly hated him. They did their best to get him out and were powerless because the audience liked him. And, you know, the fact is Fox News does not have nearly as much power over viewer minds as progressives have handed it. I think I, I am not cutting them any slack for amplifying Trump's election lie nonsense. But I also actually doubt that it made that much difference because ultimately I think that what, you know, people got the message from Trump, not from Fox, and that he was the problem. Fox was the follower, not the leader on that issue. Yeah, I, I don't fully agree with that. I do think that Trump, uh, that Fox has followed Trump and that in some cases Trump has followed Fox. I think that, you know, if you look at some of the um, some of the ways that they both have traded sort of talking points in the morning, uh, during his presidency, at some points, Fox and Friends would say something, then Trump would say something. Other times, Trump would say something, then Fox and Friends would say. So they sort of traded places in that regard. Um, but I do believe that Fox had a lot of agency and a lot of power, especially if you look at Hannity. With respect to backing Trump, no one had been uh, more consistent in backing Trump. And he's at 9 p.m., huge audience, huge internet tail, long tail in terms of his. Um, his staying power and his impact on you know on the polity, uh, I think that I think that Fox is. You know, is... Eric, I I'm not buying it. I, I I'm old enough to remember when the former president would go on Morning Joe with Mika and Joe during 2016 for an hour, and then zip over to CNN for an hour, and then show up on Fox for an hour. He's great television, and no so no they put him on because he's great television, not because he's. Uh, uh, in agreement with the editorial policies of the network. And the fact that the former president has been back on CNN and back on NBC for hour-long conversations, I talked to him for an hour as well a couple of weeks ago, he is still a ratings magnet. And I, I do not believe anyone courts liability unless they agree with something they don't believe in. And if well, they believe that the election was rigged, uh, using air quotes there, and they think it's because of Zuck box or boxes or drop boxes or change rules, you're not gonna have liability. If they think the election was stolen because uh, gremlins got into the machines and changed votes, you're gonna have liability because that's absurd. But I, I just don't believe Fox leads its viewers anywhere. They, every network will take Trump at any time because the former president is a ratings magnet. And I think that's been a big disappointment for journalists in general. And one reason that I think we really struggle with this 
we do not have as much influence over our readers as we like to think. We like to think of ourselves as being the people who shaped what people think. And I see this on the, I see this in mainstream media as well as on, on, you know, in Fox News. I think in Fox News, it is more pronounced and more visible, but mainstream media often follows its audience. It doesn't tell its audience things that are going to make its audience angry, you know, because, you know, we like the likes, we like the kudos, we like to, we like to sell newspapers and, you know, advertising as well. And, uh, you know, and also, you know, we, we're, we're, there's also a selection effect. We do this because we agree, you know, you don't end up at a publication if you really fundamentally hate its editorial line. Um, but I think that we thought we that the pen was mightier in the sword, that, that, that we had much more influence over public opinion than in fact we do. Often there's a kind of illusion of that because we reflect public opinion, at least the public opinion of our demographic. And so it, it, it's kind of hard to tell, right? You know, who moved first. But I think in general, my takeaway from the 2016 election was that earned media made a big difference. And, you know, that CNN and MSNBC were all in on that. We did it. The New York Times did it. Um, but I don't actually think that telling people what to think has nearly the effect that we thought and hoped and wished it did. No, but I will say this, that, uh, you know, we can argue about how much following and how much leading various news organizations do. But I do think that in terms of Fox News alone, its role in taking a Trump talking point and putting it out on the air, indulging it, putting on Sidney Powell and uh, Rudolph Giuliani uh, to give it air, to give it support, to promote it, and just to keep that cycle going over and over again over the course of two months, basically November, December 2020, had a, had a really, really profound impact. And maybe We're not that... disagreeing that that was morally irresponsible. Did it mean that a lot of people who otherwise would have not agreed, that, would not have believed that the election was stolen, came to believe that the election was stolen? We I'm pretty know. skeptical. Having watched the opinion polls and how they moved, it just seems to me that's mostly a Trump effect and mostly not a media effect. I know, but at some point they meld together. I'm also skeptical of the impact, uh, Eric. We're just not that important to people. We're background noise. All of media is background noise. <laughs> Okay, so as we wrap here, I just want one concrete thing that you do over the first year uh, as the head, the head of Fox Corp and News Corp. You can, you can talk about Fox News, Wall Street Journal, New York Post, whatever. You got to do one thing. Want to hear it. Go ahead. Oh, man, this is hard. I need a second. <laughs> so I've been listening to, to predictions of doom for radio for 40 years. And back when radio revived in the AM band, when Rush launched in 1989, every program director in America took their cue and began using their weekend slots to test the appeal of new voices. And they began to do a two hour or a three hour block with new voices. If my one specific suggestion to Fox would be experiment on the weekends, bring in new people, make them very much younger, very much younger. Like Guy Benson would be the oldest person I would give a weekend show to and see what sticks and what goes viral because the weekends, you're not making any money on the weekends anyway. So uh, just try and see what develops an audience and who can be funny and fast because funny and fast wins, I think, uh, long term. And to try and find out if people actually have 
the ability to attract an audience. There's nothing like putting them in on the air to see if they attract the audience. So that would be my one suggestion to Lachlan to do today. Just try everything on the weekend. Okay, I'll, Megan, I'll give you a little more time by putting mine in here. I would restore the brain room at Fox News as basically the king of the empire. And I would say you rule this entire network and anybody who doesn't follow your research and your fact-based approach uh, is in big trouble. Um, I would start trying to acquire some of the outside, younger, more pugnacious conservative publications um, that I think bring the audience that Fox News needs to eventually roll into its flagship products. Um, I would be looking at acquisitions more aggressively and trying to expand my empire to cover the next generation of conservatives. Uh, both through streaming and through hitting the websites and, and, and trying to be the, once again, what they used to be was the kind of one-stop shop um, for people who, aside from the little ma political magazine audience, right, they were the, the behemoth and they have lost a lot of market share to younger, more nimble upstarts. And I would be looking to try to bring some of those guys inside the tent rather than leaving them out. Wonderful. Thank you so much, both of you. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Megan. Thanks.